Amen. All right, well, we're there in uh, Leviticus chapter number 12. And it's a very short chapter, only eight verses, very interesting chapter. And uh, if you look, look there at Leviticus chapter 12, we'll just start right at verse number 1. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman have conceived seed and born a man-child. So I want you to notice he's talking about a woman just gave birth, and she gave birth to a man-child, a male. Then she shall be unclean seven days. According to the days of the separation of her infirmities shall she be unclean. And in the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised, and she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. So she was to be unclean for seven days. Then she would bring the child into the tabernacle, the temple, to the priest uh, to perform the circumcision. And uh, then she would be, uh, she would continue in the blood of her purifying, the Bible says, 30 and 3 days. So 33 days. Uh, she shall uh, touch no hollowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying be uh, fulfilled. So according to the first four uh, verses of this chapter, you've got a man-child is born, a male is born. You take seven days. This is under the Levitical law. Obviously, we don't live under the Levitical law today. We've talked about that in previous sermons. But for women that gave birth during the, that lived under the Mosaic law, the Levitical law, uh, they were to take seven days. Then they would circumcise the child. Then they would take 33 days for a total of 40 days uh, for their separation. Now, there's a difference uh, for the female. If you look at verse 5, it says, but if she bear a maid child, the word maid there referring to a female, a young lady. But if she bear a maid child, then she shall be unclean two weeks. Now remember, you were unclean seven days with the male, with the female, you're two weeks, as in her separation. And she shall continue in the blood of her purifying three score and 60 days. So with the male, in verse 4, you were unclean for seven days and then 33 days for a total of 40 days. Here with a female, you're unclean for Two weeks, 14 days, and then 66 days for a total of 80 days. So literally you double the amount for a man-child and, and a uh, female. And, um, you know, whenever I study the Bible, and I, I teach the guys, you know, in our spiritual leadership class as far as writing sermons, and obviously you want to rightly divide the word of truth. And I teach them, the first step you want to take when you're studying the Bible is you want to observe the Scripture. You want to just not, not put any... Thoughts into it, but just what it's saying. What what is what is the point of this passage? And once you've made an observation, then you want to have interpretation. Not only do you want to figure out what the passage is saying, but you want to say what does it mean? What what is God trying to teach us through this? And then, of course, you always need to make application. There's no point of preaching without applying. Not only what does it say and what does it mean, but what are we supposed to do about it? So as I look at this passage, I think the obvious interpretation is that women are more trouble than men. Uh, as far as I can tell, that's, that's all I can figure out. Because you take about 40 days to recover from a male, and then you take 80 days to recover from a female. And I'm just kidding, of course, you ladies are upset. Uh, there is an application here, and I think the main application is that there's a difference between male and female. And we're going to talk about that for a little bit uh, here, but, uh, and we're going to look at a few things in the passage. But before we do that, I do want to make just a couple of statements. And you can uh, keep your place here in Leviticus 12. We're going to come back to it. But go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Actually, I'm sorry. Don't go to 1 Corinthians 11. Go to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. In the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. I do want to say this. And I want to make some statements in regards to 
you know, how should you deal with, you know, recovery and giving birth after you've given birth? I've made statements like this in the past, and I've given instructions into uh, as far as what people should, should be doing. And here's what you need to understand. Whenever, whenever I talk about women being pregnant, women giving birth, how things ought to run, you know, there, there's the problem with having a church like our church that's not only family integrated, but that preaches against things like birth control, is that there is always someone who's pregnant, getting pregnant, having a baby, or something like that um, all the time. So whenever I make a statement about pregnancies or birth or whatever, you always got to have the potential of someone saying, oh, he's picking on me, or he's saying that because of me. But the thing is that there's always people pregnant around here, so it doesn't matter when I say it, it's always has the potential. It's like preaching against, you know, being late to church. You know, whenever I say something about being late or always being late, people are like, oh, he said that just because I showed up, you know, because I was late. But here's the thing, there's people late every service. So, you know, there's always going to be somebody who gets offended or things that I'm trying to pick on them. So I do want to take the opportunity to make some statements because here's the thing. It's in the text. That's what the text is about. It's all about, you know, after you give birth, how long should you wait? How long should things go? Now, obviously, so, so ladies that are pregnant, okay, I'm not picking on any of you. It's what Leviticus chapter 12 is about, all right? What else would you like me to, to preach about? But let me say this. We have noticed, and I have noticed, that there are basically two extremes. And we don't live under the Levitical law, obviously. We don't do the purifying. We don't do the temple cleansing. And, and I think it's silly for people who want to take these verses literally and say, well, we're going to wait seven days, and we're going to wait 33. Well, are you going to do the sin offering also? Because that's what you're supposed to do. All right? So obviously, we don't live under the Levitical law. Don't, don't try to go there. A lot of this is a shadow of things to come, and God's trying to show us things. But obviously, after a woman gives birth, there should be a time of recovery. But what we've noticed is there are basically two extremes, all right? And one extreme is, and I'm talking about like, how soon should you get back to church after you've given birth? How soon should you get back to soul winning after you've given birth? One extreme is just, and I look, I'm not picking on ladies that do this. I think their heart's in the right place. In fact, I like this, their spirit. And it's this idea of like getting back to the things of God. My wife and I know of a lady who literally gave birth on a Friday and was in church on Sunday. Now, look, I appreciate her zeal. And I appreciate the fact that she just wants to be faithful to the house of God. And I get that and praise the Lord for that. But look, that's ridiculous, all right? You need to allow your body to heal. You just had a child. If you gave birth on Friday, don't expect to be back to church on Sunday, all right? You need to give yourself time to heal. You need to give yourself time uh, to recover from that. That's one extreme. And even worldly people will have that extreme today. And not about spiritual things, but where a woman will give birth on Friday and she wants to be back to church, uh, back to work on Monday or something like that. Look, that's not, that's not cool. That's, that's ridiculous. But then there's the other extreme. And the other extreme is where, like, the woman gives birth and then she doesn't want to come back to church for, like, three to six months or something ridiculous like that, you know? And it's like, and look, I, I realize I'm dealing with pregnant people and you guys are all emotional, but you're really milking it at that point, okay? It's kind of just, you know, when dad's back with the baby and like mom's still not back, like you, there's a problem there, okay? So you say, well, what's, what's the right frame? Well, look at what God says, because here's what you need to understand. The 33 days and the 66 days, it's not like these women are just, you know, laying in bed for 66 days. Look, look, at, look at verse 5. But if you bear a mate child, 
Then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her separation, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying three score and six days. Notice verse four. Uh, uh, we'll look at verse three. And in the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. What is she supposed to be doing during those three and thirty days? Just laying in bed, having husband take care of every whim that she needs. Look, it says she shall not, she shall touch no hollow thing nor come into the sanctuary until the days of purifying be fulfilled. This is talking about going to the tabernacle, to these different things that have been consecrated, they're, they're considered holy, and to not be around that which has been separated. Obviously, we don't have that today. We don't have a tabernacle today where it's like this pulpit has been sanctified for the use of God and you can't come near it because of your infirmity. But here's what I want you to understand. And, and, and the chapter goes on to talk about a sacrifice that they were supposed to bring. When was she expected to be able to get up, go to the tabernacle, and perform her sacrifice? Well, on the eighth day, she was expected to bring the child and circumcise him. On the 14th day... She was expected to bring the child and, and do a sacrifice for the child. So in general, ladies, you know, one to two weeks after you gave birth, you should be back to church. You're going three months, you know, six weeks without coming back to church. You're kind of milking that thing. All right. Now, look, please, because people are going to email me or whatever. Obviously, if you had some major complication, you had some major... I'm not talking... I'm talking about someone just gives birth naturally, has no complications, mommy's healthy, baby's healthy. Within one or two weeks, you should be back to the house of God. You know, don't be back within three days. Does that make sense? That's a wrong extreme. But, you know, waiting three months, six months, that's kind of extreme too. Let's talk about this. What about soul winning? How, how soon back should a lady be back to soul winning? You know, we have found that somewhere between six to eight weeks is appropriate for a lady to come back uh, soul winning. You shouldn't be back soul winning and walking around, you know, whatever, you know, two weeks, you know, coming to church, you know, and just walking from the parking lot to the building, finding your seat, getting situated. That's different than going out and knocking on doors for two hours where you're walking. You understand what I'm saying? So I don't believe, I don't think you should be out soul winning two weeks after you gave birth, three weeks after you gave birth. You should probably wait, you know, six to eight weeks after you've given birth. If you're healthier and stronger, you know, maybe a little less. My wife is usually more like four to six weeks, but you know, my wife has a real high pain tolerance. She doesn't really milk a lot of things. I know some of you ladies, I'm I'm offending you. You want to milk these pregnancies and have your husbands do everything for you. That's great. God bless you. I'm just glad I'm not married to you. But here's the thing. Um, You you know, you is four, four, six weeks, eight weeks, something like that. Hey, that's appropriate. But here's the thing. You know, don't have baby out soul winning. You know, your baby's already like walking and getting people saved before you get back to soul. That's kind of ridiculous. All right. You know, six weeks, Eight weeks, something like that. You say, Pastor, are you picking on us? It's what the chapter's about. All right? Leviticus 12. I'm not picking on you. I'm just trying to help you with these things. You want, you know, two weeks to get back to church, six weeks to get back to uh, soul winning seems to be appropriate. But don't, don't fall into these extremes. All right? And especially you husbands, you know, be careful. Because sometimes women get pregnant. You know, people have babies. And then we never see them again. They get backslidden. Literally, they're just, they use the baby as an excuse to not go to church. They don't go to church for two months, and then they just never get back, you know, because they get out of, you know, it happens with vacations during summertime. Be careful about, well, we've been on vacation for three weeks and I haven't been in church. Sometimes people go on vacation, they just never come back. You want to be careful about making sure that you have a date 
Well, you're saying we're back to church on this day after the baby's born. And don't allow that time um, to be, be a time where you end up actually getting backslidden as a result of not going to church. But here's the main thing that I want you to understand from this passage. All right? We'll get off of that. Uh, the, the main thing I want you to understand is that what this passage is teaching, that there are differences between males and females. And even giving birth to a male and giving birth to a female are two different things. And, you know, all throughout the Bible, when it comes to this concept of male and female, uh, it is, it, it's, it's all throughout Scripture. You will always find that God makes a distinction between male and female. That there's always a difference, even, even in, in birth, even in giving birth. He says, you know, one seven days, one's 14 days. One 33 days, one 66 days. But I want you to understand, in the Bible, there's this emphasis, and, and we've got to protect this idea of the difference between male and female. Because you know what the sodomite agenda of today is? It's just trying to bring together, it's trying to, to, to blur the lines between male and female. But you know, in Scripture, there is always a difference between male and female. And I want to just give you just a few thoughts on this idea of a difference between male and female. One of those is a difference in society. Look, God has decided that in our society, there is to be a difference between male and female. There's supposed to be a difference in the roles of society. People say, oh, well, females should be equal uh, to males. And here's the thing. No, they shouldn't. And I'm not, and I'm not saying that they should be less than, than males or better. I'm just saying there ought to be a difference. There ought to be no comparison. It's not like, well, a woman needs to be equal. No, a woman needs to be a woman, and a man needs to be a man. We're not saying that one's better than the other or one. Look, we were all created in the image of God. We all have value, but God has given different roles to male and female, and in society, there is a different. For example, men in society. This is how it's supposed to be. This is not how it is, but this is how it's supposed to be. In society, men are to be the leaders and providers. Men are to be the leaders and providers. You say, why would you say leaders and providers? Because, and here's what you need to understand, guys, and I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but those two are linked together. When you are not providing, you are not the leader. And you say, well, my wife brings in 50% of the income, then she's 50% of the boss. You say, well, my wife would never, you know, she agrees and she understands that she's supposed to make, but that's not how it works. That's not how it works in people's minds, consciously or subconsciously. The leader needs to be the provider because that's what makes you the leader. That's what makes you in charge. The fact that you bring in uh, the income and the one that you're, the fact that you're taking care of, of the family in regards to the finances. First Corinthians 11.3, you don't have to turn there, it says this, but I will have you to know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. The Bible says... That the head of the woman is the man. So we see there that the Bible teaches that a man is to be the leader. Are you there in Ephesians 5? Look at verse 23. Ephesians 5, verse 23. The Bible says, For the husband is the head of the wife. For the husband is the head of the wife. Ephesians 5, 23. Even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Again, the Bible is very clear that men are supposed to lead in their homes. They're supposed to be the head of the wife. We see that all throughout scripture. But listen, not only is the husband to be the head of the wife, but he's supposed to be the provider of the wife. Keep your finger there in Ephesians. We're going to come right back to it. But go to the book of 1 Timothy. If you're in Ephesians, you're going to go past Philemon, Colossians, 1, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5. 
First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. First Timothy 5, 8. The Bible says, but if any provide not for his own. They're talking about males. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. See, in society, in society, the way it's supposed to be is that men lead. You say, well, how, how can I be the leader? Be the provider. Be the provider. Amen. If you are the sole provider of the home, you will be the undisputed leader. But when you're not providing or when you're relying on your wife to provide, that's when you start having issues with uh, leadership. And, and, and let me say this. When we say be the provider, we're not saying you've got to be rich. In fact, keep your place there in Ephesians 5 and keep your place there in 1 Timothy. We're going to come back to both of those passages. So put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there, Ephesians 5 and 1 Timothy. And go back to the book of Leviticus just real quickly. Leviticus chapter number 12. Not only does Leviticus 12 show us that there's a difference between male and female. I think we saw that pretty clearly, right? But there's another lesson from Leviticus 12 that we can tie into this idea of providing for your family. Leviticus 12, look at verse 6. Leviticus 12, verse 6. And when the days of her purifying are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering and a young pigeon and a tur- or a turtle dove for a sin offering unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation unto the priest, who shall offer it before the Lord and make an atonement for her. And she shall be cleansed from the issue of her blood. This is the law for her that hath borne a male or a female. So they're supposed to bring an offering, right? They're supposed to bring a sin offering. But I want you to notice verse 8. And if she not and, and if she be not able, and if she be not able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, the one for the birth offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for her, and she shall be clean. Okay, so it's interesting because we're told you're supposed to bring this sacrifice, but if she be not able to, meaning she can't afford that sacrifice, that sacrifice is too expensive, then they were allowed, if they were poor, they were allowed to bring a different sacrifice, which was, notice verse 8, two turtle doves and two young pigeons. I want you to remember that. Go with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter number 2. In the New Testament, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter number 2. Because if you remember... Jesus kept the entire Levitical law. He kept all of the law of God perfectly to a T. And in Leviticus chapter 2, when we read about the birth of Christ, there's actually a reference made to Leviticus chapter 12. In Leviticus 2, look at verse 21. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke 2, 21. And when eight days were accomplished, isn't that what we're reading about in Luke 12? For the circumcision, I'm sorry, Leviticus 12. For the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel, Sam Gip, before he was conceived in the womb. All right? The Bible says he was named Jesus of the angel. Verse 22. And when the days of her purification, what is that? The 33 days, right? When the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord. Notice what they offered. A pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. That's what Mary and Joseph offered for Christ. You know what they offered? They offered the poor man's offering. You know, they, you know that Joseph and Mary could not afford 
the regular offering and they brought, when they gave birth to Christ, they brought the poor man's offering, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Go to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter number 30. Proverbs 30. If you open your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you got the book of Proverbs. Isn't it interesting that when God decided, when God was choosing, when God was looking down from heaven and trying to decide in which home should I place my only begotten son in, in the hands of what couple, what male figure should I choose to raise the Lord Jesus Christ? He chose to put Jesus in what you and I would consider a working class home, a lower income home. He's a carpenter and he's giving the sacrifice of a poor man. A pair of... T- Turtle doves and two young pigeons. Are you there in Proverbs 30? Look at verse 8. Proverbs 30 and verse 8. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Proverbs 30 and verse 8. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Do you see that? Now look. You say, well, that's not the American dream. You're not going to find the American dream in the Bible, my friend. The American dream is not found in Scripture. The American dream, you know, uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Show me in the Bible where we're just supposed to pursue happiness. That's what we're supposed to. We're just supposed to fulfill all our lust and all our flesh. And we want to have a nice house and have two cars and live wealthy and be better than everybody else in the world. Where's that in the Bible? Because here we're told, notice what he says, remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. You say, why? why? Why is this man asking? Why is he asking? He says, I don't want poverty, but I don't want riches either. He said, look, I just want you to give me food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Yeah, most rich people, that's what they say. I mean, Jesus himself said that the rich, that the, the rich would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a, a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And by the way, that's why I think that most Christians aren't rich. And and here's the thing. I don't think it's wrong to be rich. I don't think it's a sin to be rich. In the Bible, you'll find that many of the people that God used, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were all very wealthy people. God uses wealthy people in Scripture. And by the way, God uses wealthy people just in ministry. There's many people that give and and give a lot and, and, and support ministries like Verity Baptist Church. But here's what I think. I think God only gives to those who he can trust with it who are not going to just get all, you know, covetous and all wound up in their money because the love of money is the root of all evil. And the Bible says that if you give yourself to wealth, you're going you're gonna to have a snare. You're going to fall into a trap. You're going to fall into perdition. And that's why here in Proverbs, he says, hey, you know what? Lord, you know, and here's the thing. If God can trust you with wealth, then praise the Lord. If God can give you money and you're still faithful to church, you're still faithful to Sunday night, you're still faithful to Wednesday night, you're still faithful to soul winning, you're still reading your Bible, you're not proud, you're not arrogant, you're gracious and you're doing right. Hey, praise God for it. I'm not preaching against you. But, but most people, if they get money, they'll be full and deny God and say, who is the Lord? And then, but then he says this, notice verse 9. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? That's one extreme for most people. Or, lest I be poor and steal and take thy name, the name of, of my God in vain. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I don't, I don't want to be rich. 
because I might deny the Lord, but I don't want to be poor because then I might get bitter towards God. Here's what he's saying. I just want to be just kind of somewhere in the middle, just middle class, maybe even lower middle class. Here's all I'm saying. Here's all I'm saying. If God blessed you with a great job, praise the Lord for it. Use that. Use that. Don't let it go to your head and serve the Lord. I'm not preaching against that. But here's what I'm saying. Men, don't get caught up with this idea. Well, I got I to gotta keep up with so-and-so. And they have this car. And, and they have this year. And, and they live in this neighborhood. That's ridiculous. And you're going to end up just hurting yourself. The Bible says they that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. And you know what? God, God could have put the the Lord Jesus Christ in any home and he chose to put him in a blue collar home where he knew that the sacrifice that would be given for the birth of Christ would be the poor man's sacrifice. And you know what? Here's what I'm saying. Provide for your family, but don't worry about being all rich and having time. Look, just make sure you're providing for your family. Make sure you've got, they've got somewhere to live, you're feeding them, you're clothing them, and you're serving God. You should, make, you should make enough money to be able to serve the Lord. You should just make enough money. Your goal should be, my goal is to make enough money that I can serve the Lord. Because unfortunately, there are some people who love God, but they cannot serve God because they're just so overwhelmed and so concerned about money. Either because they have too much or because they have too little. Your goal ought to be as a provider. My goal as a provider for my family is, Lord, just help us make enough money to, you know, serve you and and work and and earn it and and be comfortable and and not be too rich and not be too poor. That ought to be your prayer. And if God has blessed you with finances, hey, praise God, you're an Abraham, you're an Isaac, you're a Jacob. Use it for God. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's not that money is the root of all evil. It's that the love of money is the root of all evil. Just make sure you don't get to the place where you're, where you're loving money. But here's the thing, men. You need to provide for your family. But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he had denied the faith, and it's worse than an infidel. Go back to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 5. And here's the sad thing. That you'll have a bunch of worldly men who don't love the Lord, who don't go soul winning, who don't serve God, but here's what they do. They provide for their families. And then they look over at church world and they say, oh, you're in church on Sunday morning, but your family's on, you know, on welfare or you're not taking care of them or you're doing this and that. And you know what? It's true when the Bible says you're worse than an infidel. We ought not allow any heathen to outdo us when it comes to loving God and loving our wives and loving our children and providing for them and working hard. And if that means you got to get up at four in the morning and go to bed at midnight, then that's what you got to do. You need to do what you got to do. We live in a society where people are just afraid of hard work and they're afraid of manual labor. But keep in mind, God put Jesus in the, heart of a, in, the, in the home of a carpenter. And you know what? He put me in the home of a carpenter, so he must love me, I guess. I don't know. My dad was a carpenter when I, uh, growing up. Ephesians 5, look at verse 22. Ephesians 5, 22. They gave the turtle doves and the two young pigeons when I was born. Ephesians 5, 22. So men, men are supposed to lead and provide. In society, what are women supposed to do? Ladies are to be submissive and homemakers. Are there in Ephesians 5? Look at verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Look at verse 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. Notice these three words. In everything. Do you see that? Here we are told that wives are supposed to submit to their husbands in everything. 
But here's the thing. It's interesting because if you go to the book of Colossians, go to Colossians, just one book over. You got Ephesians, Colossians. Colossians 3.18. The Bible says this. Colossians 3.18. Colossians 3.18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Notice the last part of this word. As it is fit in the Lord. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Now, wait a minute. Which one is it supposed to be? Am I supposed to submit to him in everything? Or am I supposed to submit to him in the things that are fit in the Lord? And here's what you need to understand. The answer to that question is this. You, wives, you are supposed to submit to your husbands in everything that is fit in the Lord. Say, so what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. Anything your husband asks you to do, that's not a sin. You are to submit to him. You don't argue about, well, you know, if he wants you to put some, something in a certain place or to do a certain thing, if he wants a certain meal on a certain night or whatever, just look, if it's not a sin, just do it. Now look, husbands, if you were smart, you probably wouldn't just be nitpicking your wife about everything, little thing she does, all right? You know, I, when I come home, I don't really care where things are. My, I, that's, that's her house. I just pay the bills. She wants to put things wherever and do this and do that. That's her, that's her deal. I don't really care. Just tell me where I'm being fed and tell me where I'm supposed to sleep and I'm good. All right? And guys, if you're smart, you would just, you know, let your wife have her domain. and not. But here's the thing, wives. If he wants you to do something a certain way, you are to submit to him in everything as it is fit in the Lord. Well, my husband said that, uh, you know, he wants me to help him sell crack cocaine. Well, you don't have to submit to that. That's not fit in the Lord. We ought to obey God rather than men. Do you understand what I'm saying? My, my husband said, I'm not allowed to read the Bible. Well, you don't have to listen to that because God has commanded you to read the Bible. My husband says, I'm not allowed to go to church. You don't have to listen to that. Because God has commanded you to go to church. My husband said, we are, you are supposed to submit in everything as it is fit in the Lord. My husband says he wants me to get up at a certain time. Well, your husband may be asking you to do that for a reason. <laughs> submit in everything. As long, whatever he asks you to do, as long as it's not a sin, you're supposed to do it. I know people don't like this preaching, but look, I'm just trying to help you out. You will have a good marriage if you just do what the Bible says. Amen. Submit in Everything? Everything? My, hu- my husband skipped uh, uh, work and his boss called because it's the fifth day in a row he skipped work and he's not telling me to tell him that he's sick, but I know he's going fishing. What should I do? Is it fit in the Lord? Is he asking you to sin? Look, you obey in everything as long as he's not asking you to sin, as long as, as, long as it's okay with God. But whenever, look, in, in every area of life. I don't care if it's your husband. I don't care if it's your pastor. I don't care if it's the government. If they're asking you to do something that's a sin, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, look, if the government's asking you to do something that's not a sin, the government said, down this street, I want you to go 25, and down this street, I want you to go 45. Look, just do what they said. But if they're asking you to, you know, whatever, not go soul winning, then we obey God rather than men. That's actually what they were asking Peter when he said that. To not go soul winning. And he said we ought to obey God rather than men. So, you know, wives, you should submit in everything. You should submit in everything as it is fit in the Lord. Uh, go, go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. 1 Timothy 2, 12. But I suffer not a woman to teach. Notice this phrase. 
nor to usurp authority over the man. Wives, your job is to submit to your husband. What does that mean? To not usurp his authority. And here's what I've noticed with good godly Christian ladies. Good godly Christian ladies, they say, well, I'll submit to him. But it's like this. I'll submit to him as long as he's doing what I want. Here's the thing about that. That's not submission. Do you understand that? Whenever your husband is asking you to do something that you already want to do, you're not submitting. You're just do, you just have both agreed that that's the right thing to do. In fact, listen to me. Because would you, would you agree that the Bible makes a big deal about wives submitting to their husbands? Well, let me give you a newsflash. The only time that you as a wife get to properly submit to your husband is when you're not agreeing. And when he's asked you to do something that you don't think, that's not what you want to do. And that's the only time you get to submit. And we have these nice Christian wives that, oh, I'm a very submissive wife. It's just this one, two, or three times that I don't submit. But it's like one, two, or three times is the only time you ever are asked to submit. So let me just explain something to you. You're not submissive. You're not a submissive wife. Because the only time you get to be submissive is when you don't agree. But then you do it anyway. And by the way, you do it with the right attitude. You do it with the right spirit. That doesn't mean that you live, you know, that you can speak to your husband. You can give him wisdom and say, well, here's what I think and here's how I see it. And, and, and hopefully he's wise enough to take your, uh, to take your concerns and, and to listen to you. But, you know, every once in a while the leader has to make a decision and you just have to submit. That's what the Bible says. Not to usurp the authority over the man. And first, uh, go, go back, keep your place there in uh, Ephesians. Be in Ephesians and 1 Timothy. Go, go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. While you go there, I'll read for you from 1 Peter 3.1. It says, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. 1 Peter 3.5 says this, For after this manner also, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. That's what the Bible says. But So we saw men are supposed to be what? Leaders and providers. All right? And ladies are to be submissive and homemakers. Are you there in 1 Timothy 5? Look at verse 14. I'm not winning any points with the ladies tonight at all. 1 Timothy 5, 14. 1 Timothy 5, 14. You know, I'm just, I, I just praise God that, you know, the, 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 the reason that I get to get up here and just preach this direct on subjects like this is because just God blessed me with a wife who loves the Lord and she is usually right. <laughs> But she submits anyway, you know. And, you know, you ladies, you ought to just, you, you look, you will do more. You will do more to get your husband's attention. When he gets his brilliant idea, we're going to X, Y, and Z. And you say, honey, I don't know about that. I was just kind of thinking that. No, honey, you don't understand. I don't know. You, you always. Okay, honey, whatever, whatever you feel. If you believe that's what the Lord would have us to do. And then he goes and fails. You know, you let him fail one or two or three times without him being bitter towards you, mad at you. You know, the next time you say, you know, honey, he might just listen. But it's just every time you're fighting, you're fighting. And you're like that woman in Proverbs. You're just this contentious woman. And you wonder why he always wants to go camping or something. You know, you wonder why he always wants to go hang out with the guys or something like that. Hey, just be careful about that. Just be supportive. It's not going to work. Well, just let him fail. He might listen to you. Uh, more. First Timothy 5, look at verse 14. 
I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children. Notice these words, guide the house. What does that mean? It means you're a homemaker. Guide the house. Give no occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Go to Titus chapter 2. Look at verse 4. Titus chapter 2, verse 4. You say, what is, what is the Bible saying? The Bible is saying that why, women, wives, mothers are supposed to be homemakers. You say, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. They're not supposed to be in the workplace. That's what I mean. Amen. They're supposed to be at home. Homemakers. You guide the house. You can't guide the house from the office. You guide the house from the house. First Timothy 2, look at verse 4. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste. Notice these words. Keepers at home. Keepers at home. Good, obedient to their own husbands. That the word of God be not blasphemed. They're supposed to be uh, staying home. Go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 31. We were just in Proverbs chapter 30, so just one chapter over. Proverbs 31. And let, let's, let me just show you some lessons from the virtuous woman. But let me say this. Before I go any further, let me say this. And I'm just giving you my opinion here. Whatever you just, whatever, however you see it, you know, it's, that's between you and God. I, but let me give you my opinion. As, as a pastor, someone who's read the Bible cover to cover many, 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 many times, here's what I believe. I don't necessarily think it's wrong for a woman with either no children or grown children to work. Because when you look at the verses about being a keeper at home, it's always in reference to a woman that has children in the home. So I don't necessarily think that it's wrong for a woman, either with no children or grown children, to work. I do think that if that woman's going to work, it should be appropriate for her to, to do that job. I don't, I don't think any woman should be a cop. Okay? I don't, does that make sense? If I got somebody breaking into my house and I call the police and a woman shows up, I'm like, oh, great. I'm supposed to protect you too? You know, good night. You know, so it should be an appropriate job, okay? It should be appropriate. But, you know, let me say this. You know, obviously single moms have to work. We get that. That's the society we live in. That's the world we live in, okay? They're just, you guys just have to make it happen. So because of situations, sin, sometimes we have to do things like that, and, and we get that, and we try to support single moms around here as much as we can. But here's what I want you to understand. If they work, it should be an appropriate job, and it should preferably be from home, and we're going to see that in Proverbs 31. But let me say this, ladies. If your husband disagrees with what I just said, he's right and I'm wrong because I'm not your husband, and you're supposed to submit to him in everything as it is fit in the Lord. And whether you work or not is not, you know, it's not a sin to not have you work. But I personally don't think if a lady doesn't have children or has grown children, and usually it's more like, you know, your children are gone and out of the house, I think it's perfectly fine for a woman to work. And here's the thing, and I think it's best for them to work from home. And we're going to see that in Proverbs 31. Uh, but, you know, but let me say, with that said, okay, because as a pastor, I have to be careful. I'm telling you, there's a difference. Remember when we saw on Sunday morning where Jesus, in theory, in theory he said we shouldn't pay taxes, but in practice he paid his taxes? Okay, in theory, I don't think it's terrible for a woman that has no children or has grown children to work from home. In practice, my wife and my daughters will never work outside of my home. Do you understand what I just said? So I'm, I'm telling you, I can't tell you from the Bible, no woman should ever work. Because the verses connected to being a homemaker are always connected to children being in the home. So I'm not going to tell a woman, 
who's got grown children outside the house, it's wrong for you to get a job. I think it should be appropriate. With that said, though, in my personal life, we have chosen that my daughters and my wife, obviously my wife is busy enough just around here. She doesn't need anything else to do. But our daughters will never work outside the home. But listen to me very carefully. And and at this point, I'm preaching to the YouTube crowd. My 18-year-old daughter is not going to be sitting at home getting up at 10 a.m., laying on the couch, watching, at, watching YouTube all day. Okay, that's ridiculous. They should be working. So, well, you just said not to work. I said not get a job. I didn't say not work. They should be working at home. Amen. They should be busy. They shouldn't just, oh, well, I'm just an eight, I'm 18 years old, and I'm not going to work because the Bible says I shouldn't work. So I'm just going to relax. That's ridiculous. <laughs> You know, you're just going to sit there and do nothing. And by the way, you moms, you should be working out. You should be working at home. Your husband shouldn't come, have to come home. If he's, if he's providing, he shouldn't have to come home and make dinner and, you know, scrub the toilets. Okay? I, I'm, I've lost everybody. All right, go to Proverbs 31. I'm trying to help you with your marriages if you'd listen to me. Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, like verse 13. So what, I had like three points. I think I'm going to get to point one. But that's all right. Proverbs 31. Look at verse 13. A homemaker should be a hard worker. Look at, look at the virtuous woman. And we're not going to look at every characteristic of the virtuous woman because there's a lot there. We could preach a whole series out of the virtuous woman. But let's just look at, at a couple of things. Proverbs 31, 13. She seeketh wool and flax and, notice this word, worketh. Worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ship. She bringeth her food from afar. Notice verse 15. Does does this sound like a hardworking lady? She rises also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field and buyeth it with the fruit of her hands. Notice, notice she's working. She planted the vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength. She strengthened her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Does this sound like a hardworking lady? Verse 18, her candle goeth not out by night. In this passage, we're told she gets up before the sun comes up, and her candle goeth not out by night. What is the Bible telling us? She gets up early and she stays up late. And what does she do the whole time? She works hard. Look at verse 24. She maketh fine linen. Now, here's where you get to the, you know, is it okay for women to work from home? I think it is because she maketh fine linen, and this lady has children, and selleth it, and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and her tongue is a law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and notice, notice this, spends all her day on Facebook. Is that what it says? Is all day on YouTube. Is that what it says? Is reading romance novels or watching soap operas. Is that what it says? No. And eateth not the bread of idleness. She's not idle, which means she's busy. She's working. So homemakers, you ought to be busy. Now look, when you got three, four, five kids running around, that takes care of itself. Because kids demand you work. But you young moms, you know, you've got less kids or maybe no kids. Make sure that you're keeping yourself busy and working. You're not just being idle all day. Because the Bible says that that leads to being a tattler and a gossip. You got to keep yourself busy. Homemakers should be hard workers. Not only that, homemakers should be wise shoppers. I'm about to get something you ladies like. 
shopping. Proverbs 31, look at verse 14. She is like the merchant ship. She bringeth her food from afar. She, uh, look, look at verse 16. She considereth the field and buyeth it. Now, hold on a second. It, it doesn't say she's on Amazon all day and, and the, you know, the Amazon truck won't stop coming to our house and everything she sees on eBay, she's clicking on. Okay? She considereth the field. She's thinking about it. She evaluates it. She gets the best deal. She looks at it. Uh, the Bible says she considered the field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands, she planted the vineyard. Look, look at verse 18. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. This woman's a wise shopper. You know, you ladies, some, one of the best things that you could do, one of the best things that you could do to contribute to the financial success of your home is to not be this woman who's just shopping away. You know, just put it on the card, put it on the card, put it on the card. Why don't you make sure that when you purchase something, you're being wise about your purchases? And look, I know people, I know a guy right now who, I mean, his, his, his financial life is falling apart because he cannot get his wife to quit shopping. And look, ladies, don't be like that. I'm not saying not to shop. I think you ought to shop. I think it's good to shop. But, you know, be a wise shopper. You know, I, I thank God for a wife that shops at thrift stores and gets good deals and, and, you know, gets coupons and things like that. That's what a virtuous wife ought to do. Let me give you another one. Go to Proverbs 31, look at verse 19. She's working. She's selling stuff. Something that's, 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 that we find a lot about this virtuous woman is that she's a seamstress. Proverbs 31, 19. She layeth her hand to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. Look at verse 22. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. She's not dressed like a bag lady. She looks nice. Her husband is known in the gates. When he sitteth among the elders of the land, she maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the, the merchants. Here, here's what I'm trying to say. We see this woman. She's sewing stuff. She's making clothes. We saw her earlier. She was planting a vineyard. Uh, here's all I'm saying is this lady's busy. She's not just being idle. She's not just on YouTube, on Facebook, you know, just wasting her life, eating the bread of idleness. Look, homemakers ought to work hard. And homemakers ought to be wise shoppers. And homemakers ought to you know, learn a skill and, and make things and, and get, get to work. Uh, go to the book of 1 Corinthians. Let me give you, I'm already out of time, but let me give you just one more. Don't be lazy. And don't get this idea like, oh, well, the Bible says that I'm not supposed to work. So I'm just going to lay in bed all day, especially you young ladies. Young ladies, you say, what, what am I trying to help you take away? What, what are the takeaways from the sermon? Don't be lazy, all right? And don't milk medical conditions, okay? <laughs> you know, um, that's another one, you know, while we're, out, while we're offending everybody. Don't milk medical conditions. If you're the guy who's always gone because you're sick, you may be milking it. You know, people are like, oh, you know, I can't do it because I don't feel good. I'm like, what's wrong with you? I just don't feel good. I'm like, man, I don't feel good every day. I don't ever wake up. What does it mean to feel good? I never feel good. I feel good when I'm sleeping. When I wake up, I feel like garbage, you know, but you just get up and go to work. Just get up and get to work. People are like, they think that like everything's got to be just right, you know, or I can't make it. You just get up and work. You know, and here's the thing. Obviously, people get sick. Obviously, people miss work. Obviously, people miss church. Some of you need to track your own attendances 
and see how often you miss church because you're sick. Maybe you just have a low pain tolerance and you need to just buck up a little bit. Especially you men. Trying to help you out. Maybe you'd keep a job longer if you show up every once in a while. 1 Corinthians 14, look at verse 34. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34. I don't feel well. Nobody feels well. I have to take like I have to drink like three co- cups of coffee before I feel you know normal. Much less well. Good night. I feel well when I've been on vacation for two weeks. First Corinthians fourteen verse thirty four. And I've never taken a vacation for two weeks. First Corinthians fourteen thirty four. You men need to work. You need to work. That's what God has commanded. And you need to just work whatever. You need to work any job. If you're not working, take any job. And you can, you, nobody can hire me. Then just go find a field somewhere and dig ditches. Just work. That's what God has commanded. It's, it's funny because Adam sinned and was all depressed and discouraged. And God says, hey, get to work. So man need to work. Just find something to do. And if you can't find something to do, come ask me. You want to volunteer around here? We got lots of things for you to do. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34. What about church? Okay, I got five minutes. Let's do, let's do, we saw difference in society. Let's talk about difference in church. 1 Corinthians 14, 34. Let your women keep silence in the churches. For it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. The Bible says that in the church, women are to keep silence. It is not permitted unto them to speak. And by the way, the verse also speaks to the leadership of a man. Look at verse 35. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. So, you know, you men need to take the lead, be the spiritual leader, where you can answer your wife's questions. You know, and, and, and if your wife, look, you say, well, sometimes my wife asks me a question that I don't know. Let me explain something to you. I'm the pastor of Eddie Baptist Church. I've read my Bible over 20 times, cover to cover. I've been preaching for seven years. Sometimes my wife asks me a question I don't know. Okay, so don't worry about it. Just write it down and say, I'll get back to you. And then come ask me, and if I, we can't figure it out, then we'll open up a commentary. I'm just kidding. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get something for you, you know. But what I'm saying is, try to be the leader that, you know, if, she, if, if you can't answer any question, if she's like, honey, where's the book of Luke? And you're like, let me call the pastor. Okay, th- that's a problem. Okay, try to, try to read the Bible, study the Bible. Try to be the guy that um, your wife can ask you questions. Because the Bible says here, if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is a shame for uh, women to speak in, in the church. First uh, uh, Timothy 2.11. Go, go to First Timothy. First Timothy 2.11. And if you don't have a husband at home, you know, ask Brother Stucky. I don't know. First Timothy 2.11. I'm just kidding. First, you're going to ask me. First Timothy 2.11. Or ask my wife. You know, that's, obviously, she's very knowledgeable. She's read her Bible a lot and knows a lot. First Timothy two eleven, let the women, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. You see how those two things are connected: silence and subjection. Silence and subjection. By the way, that's not just that's not just in church. That's also the home. Say so we're not supposed to talk at home. No, what I'm saying is, the way you submit to an, a decision you don't like is you just quit arguing about it. Silence and subjection, those two things go together. I'm just, I might as well get it all out there because this is not a good one, so let's just do it all now. Let the women learn in silence without subjection. Verse 12, but I suffer not a woman to teach, Joyce Myers, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. In the church, 
women are not permitted to speak. So no, we're never going to have any woman is never going to get behind this pulpit and preach or teach or give a testimony or say anything in church because they're not supposed to speak in church. All right. Now, let me say this, though. This is not talking about soul winning, because in the Bible, you find the apostle Paul thanking the women that labored with him in the gospel. You find the Bible telling us that there were women at the, in that group of 120 on the day of Pentecost who went out and, and preached the gospel. So we're talking about within the congregation. And by the way, let me just explain them to you. It's only when men are present that women are not supposed to uh, speak because the Bible actually commands that women, that the elder women teach the younger women. So obviously, if it's a baby shower, it's ladies' tea, there's only women there. There's nothing wrong with a lady getting up and giving a lesson to other ladies. I don't, some people think that's wrong. I don't think that's wrong. And I don't think you can prove that from the Bible. But when you're having a church service where men are present, because it's all about not usurping the authority of the man. Notice verse 11. That the woman learn in silence without subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach. Why? Nor to usurp authority over the man. Because if she was teaching, she'd be usurping the authority over the man, but to be in silence. So, so in church, in church, you're not, women, you're not supposed to say amen. Now look, every once in a while, because we do so much soul winning at Verity Baptist Church and we reach all sorts of new people, every once in a while, we have women show up that, you know, they're either new Christians or they're not even saved and, no, and they're saying amen during the service. You know, don't worry about it. It's not, it's not that big of a deal. We're not, you're, don't walk up to a first-time guy, shut your mouth! <laughs> Silence in the church! Okay, that's ridiculous, all right? You know, and, le- and let me just give you a hint, guys. If it bothers you so much, why don't you say amen every once in a while? Amen. You know what I used to do when I was in church? If some visitor, some Pentecostal woman walked in and she's saying amen, if I'm sitting by her, I'm trying to, like, outshout. Every time she opens her mouth, I'm like, amen! <laughs> so nobody hears her. But you know, guys, they want to, I'm so upset that all these women are talking in the church. But it's like, oh, maybe if you said amen every once in a while, maybe, maybe we could change the culture or something, you know? But women, keep your silence in the churches, all right? For it is not permitted unto them to speak. I don't know. Is there anything else I can say that is offensive in regards to this subject? I think we're done. Let's bow our heads and I want to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to gather uh, tonight, Lord. And just thank you, Father, because, I mean, the Bible does teach that there's a difference between male and female period. And it's not that one's better than the other or one's worse than the other. It's that God made us different. We are to have different roles. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to to fulfill those roles, to not fight those roles. And Lord, in the roles that you've given us, Lord, I pray that you would help the men to say, I want to be the best leader physically, spiritually, emotionally that I can be to my my a wife and my children. And then, Lord, I pray that we have women who would say, I want to be the best wife that I can be, and I want to be the virtuous woman, and I want to, uh, you know, submit when it's, when, when it's appropriate, and if I'm being asked to sin, then, then I'll, I'll follow God on in those instances. Lord, I just pray that you would help us. I believe if we uh, fit the proper roles in our lives, that we would just have better, stronger marriages, Lord. And I just thank you for my wife and just the great... Uh, just Christian she is, Lord, and, and she tries to follow you. Lord, I pray you'd help me to just be uh, a good husband. In your precious name I pray, amen.